A church is a group of Christians who assemble as an earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom to proclaim the good news and commands of Christ the King, to affirm one another as his citizens through the ordinances, and to display God's own holiness and love through a unified and diverse people in all the world following the teaching and example of elders. church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning on a beautiful day. Amen. Amen. It's always a privilege for me to be able to come out here to uh, Indian Creek campus. Uh, Lori and I have been coming out here, connected as a church for quite a long time, actually, long before it was even uh, we were part of this church campus, became part of Village Bible Church. And always a blessing to come out here, more than just because our children attend here, also because my grandkids are out here. I've always enjoyed coming out. It's great to see what God is doing through this campus. I uh, also a privilege to share and uh, preach at Jeremy's pulpit while he's off at uh, fall camp with all of the youth of the church. They take uh, over 100 students to this camp in Michigan with maybe 15, 20 leaders. It is quite the gathering. So my son is there. I've seen some of the videos they posted at 1.30 in the morning, and uh, they pack a lot of living in a very short amount of time, but always a good time for the kids, and uh, I know uh, the leaders will be glad to come home and actually get some sleep. And so, again, um, absolute privilege for for me and my family to be here this morning and a privilege to share God's Word uh, with all of you today. Uh, As you saw on the screen, we've... uh, had a last couple of months we've been in a series called rediscover church and uh, the elder team came together to think about what why we do this series because really coming across or out of the pandemic there was a need just to remember what church is all about how it's more than just a sunday morning one hour and so we talked about uh, some of the as we've talked in small groups some of the titles were why it's important to gather together as a church as a community of faith and fellowship the importance of preaching what is church membership and why do churches do it differently what does that mean at village bible church to become a church member we talked about church discipline always a fun topic to talk about church discipline yes we talked about that for in one Uh, service. We talked about the importance of creating a community of faith and fellowship right here at a local campus. And then last week, I believe it was last week, talking about what it means to be a light in the community. And as a church, what is our obligation and how do we reach the community around us? And so today we finish this series of Rediscover Church uh, with the title of, What Does It Mean to Lead the Church? Who Leads the church. What does the scriptures teach us about this? This morning, we're going to answer three questions related to that topic. We're going to answer one, how do the scriptures define what it means to be an elder or pastor of the church? Second, what do the scriptures say are the responsibilities of an elder? What does an elder do? What are the qualifications to be an elder or pastor? And third, how should we, the church, then respond to our elders and pastors' leadership? Our text this morning, if you can open, uh, take out your Bibles, we're going to be in two main passages this morning that are very similar in the book of Titus and in the book of 1 Timothy. And we're going to read them both. And a little bit of context while you take out your Bibles. You can, uh, if you want, you can open up to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start in verses 1 through 7, and then we'll switch to Titus and read verses Titus 1, 5 through 9. We're going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 3. You can find that in your Bibles. But a little bit of context first. Uh, in, in these books of, that Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul wrote to Titus and to Timothy, they were pastoral epistles, what we call their letters to pastors. Paul has a very fondness in his heart for these two young men named Timothy and Titus who are pastoring their own churches. They had traveled extensively with the Apostle Paul. They were very much known to him. He cared deeply and almost in a father-like figure to both of these young men, and he wrote letters that have become part of the biblical canon, is actually parts of the Bible now. So they, they traveled extensively with Paul on his missionary journeys, and Timothy was left in Ephesus by Paul to help lead and set up the church, while, while Titus was left on the island of Crete to do the same. And so Paul writes very practical guidance and information in both of these letters of instructions to appoint elders with clear qualifications of how they were to lead. 
And so that's our context for this morning in both of these passages. Let's start. I'm going to read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me. And the word of the Lord says this, 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. That was the letter and instructions for elders that Paul wrote to Timothy. Let's uh, open your Bibles now, uh, not far away, the book of Titus, chapter 1, 5 through 9. And let's read how Paul states these similar qualifications to Titus, chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Verse 5 says this, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Wow, there's quite a list of qualifications to be an elder and pastor, aren't they? Let's pray and then we'll jump into our sermon. Please join me in prayer. Lord, I want to thank you this morning for this beautiful day. It is a privilege to be here in your house. God, we thank you for the privilege of being able to worship your name this morning. Thank you for the privilege of gathering around your table in fellowship of communion where we remember that your blood was, was spilt and your body was broken on our behalf. Lord, thank you, and we praise you this morning for the redemption and forgiveness of our sins through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Lord, this morning as we continue and end our series talking about your church, Lord, I pray, God, that you would open our hearts and minds to the truth of what your scriptures teach us about what and it means to be an elder and pastor of your church. Lord, teach us how we should respond to their leadership as well. Lord, we commit to you this time, and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Being an elder or pastor is a challenging calling. I am a pastor's kid my whole life. I do not remember a time growing up that uh, my dad was not a pastor. And to me as a kid growing up in the church, he was just my dad, right? But we spent some quality time in the church. If any of you are pastor's kids, uh, it was uh, Wednesday nights, Sunday nights, Sunday mornings, and all the different ministries that go in between. I was raised in the church. And I saw, from, at least from a child's perspective and teenage perspective, the highs and lows of being a pastor and elder of a church. There were some times it was not easy, and uh, there was a big time commitment, and I got to watch that from a, a child's perspective, being a preacher's kid. And then in my own life, having gone through the whole process of really wrestling of whether God's calling me to be an elder, and uh, by God's grace, I've been able to serve in that role uh, for about the last 15 years at, uh, in Village Bible Church, and just seeing that my own personal experience as well, that uh, it is a challenging calling to be a pastor and elder of the church. It's an important role. It was ordained by God, as we just read in the scriptures, with very clear qualifications for who should be an elder. And the reality is, our pastors and elders, they anchor the church as the way God ordained it. And so, this is why it's so catastrophic to the life of the church when an elder or pastor falls to egregious and terrible sin. 
isn't it? So we don't have to look very far in the news or go back far in history to see examples of what happens to a church when an elder or pastor fails. And I was talking with someone just this week out there listening to the podcast from Christianity Today of the rise and fall of Mars Hill. If you know of your history in the last 10 to 12 years ago with what happened at the church Mars Hill, thousands of people and how the failure of leadership and a pastor's unchecked sin destroyed really brought that church down and had such a hard impact on so many people. And right here in the Chicagoland area, we don't have to go far to know what happens when a pastor fails and fails in a way that uh, really makes it so hard to recover from and what happens to the church. There's a weight to this office of elder, isn't there? It's hard to lead sometimes. In the pandemic, it was hard to lead because it just seemed like in the church it was hard to do anything right in the eyes of the people, yes? There was a lot of angst over either not strict enough with, the, with taking precautions or why are we going that strict? And there were so many strong beliefs and all that. How do you lead through these things? And people sometimes, if you've led either in the secular world, your job, or through the church, anytime you lead something, probably you make a decision someone's not going to like it, Correct? And so it's no different in the church. And when decisions are made, sometimes people get upset. It can be time-consuming because people need their pastors and elders. Yes, there's times of crisis. They want, if you're in the hospital, you want your family there, but, boy, it's great to have a pastor come and pray. Yes, so it's, there's a time commitment to this too. And so there's a weight to this, but there isn't just a weight. There's also a joy in that office as well. There's a great and deep joy in the office too. To see God do the impossible through his church is a great blessing. There's a joy to it. To be part of God's church in that leadership capacity is a great joy and blessing in that too. And to see God equipped for service in the hearts of the elder and then to be able to use those gifts that God gave for his glory to work in the church. All that is a great blessing and joy too. All of this is the calling to be a leader an elder or pastor in, in Christ's church. Our first point this morning in our sermon is, number one, is we need to recognize what the biblical model and qualifications are to be in church leadership. We need to recognize that the Bible does talk about church leadership. It gives some very clear qualifications. In fact, long, long, long list to read those, and we think, wow, that's, uh, that's quite the list. And so under recognizing that the Bible does have uh, qualifications and talk about church leadership, the scriptures call for first specific qualifications to be an elder. And we just read those in Timothy and in Titus. And first, before we get into those qualifications, it's worthy to note that pastor, the word pastor, and the word elders in the New Testament are used synonymously. We like to separate those terms, don't we? Pastor means, that's Pastor Jeremy. He's employed by the church. He works full time. He's not gainfully employed anywhere else. His time is spent as pastor of the church. And then we look at the other elders that have other jobs but serve as elders of the church as separate as pastor and elder. But the scriptures do not make that distinction at all. The qualifications to be full-time pastor or lay elder in the church are exactly the same. They do not change whether you're Jeremy or Dan, who is one of the elders here at this campus. The qualifications are exactly the same. There's also another inherent danger when we read the qualifications to be an elder. It's this. We read those as members of the church, and our mind immediately thinks this. Thank goodness that those don't apply to me. That's just for the elders. Oof, that's quite a heavy list. I'm glad when I read this, that's heavy, that I don't have to worry about that. Jeremy, he needs to worry about that. Or Dan and Bill and Bill Warner, they should worry about that, but I'm glad that oof, I'm off the hook on this. And yet, that's not actually the case, is it? Because we're going to go back and read them. We're going to go over them again. But the reality is, there's not one of those qualifications that we couldn't take by itself and say that me, as a follower of Christ, that should be part of my life too. And when I'm going to read these one more time, 
And then I want you to think about that and say, okay, yes, these are specific qualifications for an elder, but what in that list wouldn't apply to me as a Christian? And here's why. 1 Peter chapter 1, 15 and 16, you can write down that in your notes. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says this, but as he who called you, talking to believers, is holy, you also must be holy. That's all of us in our conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so when we read these qualifications, none of us are off the hook on these. Yes, the pastor and elder must be a role model in them, but they absolutely apply to the entire church. And so we can apply those qualifications to ourselves because God is glorified in our obedience in them. So let's take a look. We're going to go back and stay in Titus chapter 1, 5 through 9. Let's look at these qualifications. I'm just going to read these because... Paul gives very specific must-haves for the elder, and he also he has a list of must-nots. So we're going to start for we're going to start, I'm going to start with the must-haves. The the elder must, but so when we read this, think of your elder being qualified, but also think these apply to me as as well in my obedience to Christ too. So here we go from Titus chapter one five through nine. So here's the qualifications: an elder must one be above reproach must be the husband of one wife. I'm going to come back to that one in a moment because there's some discussion about what that means. Next, the elder must have children who are believers and not insubordinate. Okay, we we'll come back to that one too. Next, an elder must be hospitable. They must love good. They must be self-controlled. They must be upright. They must be holy. They must be disciplined. They must hold firm to the word, the scriptures, because they have to give instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict sound teaching. List of must-nots. An elder must not be, they cannot be arrogant, they cannot be quick-tempered, they cannot be drunk, they cannot be violent, they cannot be greedy. So if these all apply to all of us, then what is specific about these commandments to an elder of the church? And the, and the answer to that is the elder must be a role model in these for the church to the point where they can say, church, I'm not perfect at this, but do as I do. That's a pretty heavy statement to say, isn't it? And so the elder must have a sustained practice in each one of those of their life that it models them not doing it perfectly because no one elder, none of us are going to do that perfectly because your elders are fallible people. They're not perfect. They're going to make their mistakes. And any one of those qualifications for an elder that we just read, if they don't have a life that is, is a sustained practice that they can be an example, that should disqualify them from serving as an elder because we have these qualifications specifically listed. I want to talk about two of them because they uh, can generate some controversy and discussion in the church. I want to focus on, number one, what does it mean to be husband of one wife in verse 6 of Titus? So husband of one wife literally means this in the Greek. It literally means a one-woman man. And some churches are going to have some different teachings on this. I'm going to share with you what the teaching position of Village Bible Church is on this topic. So literally, an elder must be a pastor, a one-woman man. In Ephesians, husbands were taught this, we were commanded this, we are to love our wives, men, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's our example. That's a big example, isn't it? That's an unconditional, sacrificial love. As Christ loves his bride, the church, we are to love our wives, right? So that's the definition of a one-woman man. The question then becomes is, can a divorced man be, if he has a divorce in their past, be an elder of the church? And churches are going to have some different teaching positions on that. I'm going to explain where we are. The VBC teaching position is this. When we look at all of the qualifications for elder that I just listed, they're listed in the scripture, a past failure in any one of them, any one singular, is not a disqualification from serving as an elder. The point for the qualifications are that at this time and a sustained period of time, that their life is marked by each of those. So that in any one of those lists, because if you go through those, there's been times where I serve as an elder where I have not been self-disciplined. And there are times even today I'm going to fail in that. But my life should be to a point, and so should all the elders, that it is marked as there is, is a disciplined life because that's what the qualifications call for. So if 
Why then do we pull out the one with one woman man and make that separate from all the rest and say a failure in that in the past disqualifies a lifetime disqualification to serve as an elder? So the shortest answer to this is this. Can a, can a divorced man become an elder in Village Bible Church? The answer is yes. If their life shows a sustained period of being a one woman man now. Now, should there be a careful examination of that? We'll talk about that in a minute. Absolutely. Um, but uh, the answer, the shortest answer to that question is yes. It should be examined carefully, but it sh- that one that we pull out should not disqualify, is not a lifetime ban, as with uh, all of the qualifications. Second is I want to talk about the commandment that our children of an elder should not be insubordinate in verse 6. means they can't be open to debauchery because an elder that can't manage his house, how then can they manage the church, Paul writes, correct? And so it's a, it's a fair question for elders, but I will say this, that presents some difficulty, especially for elders who have teenagers, right? <laughs> because uh, that, I remember as a pastor's kid, uh, I was not always uh, the uh, most obedient child as a teenager. And uh, I, and much as you have raised teenagers know, Uh, that that's the case and that our children can be at times disobedient. But again, the general rule is that the elders or pastor's children are, they're going to make their mistakes, but that uh, they are not insubordinate, that the elder is managing their household well. And I'll say this, my grandsons are here at this church. I love them. They're great kids. I'll tell you right now, they're going to make their mistakes. They're not perfect at all. And neither was I as a child, neither are your children. And one of the things that we do to sometimes to our elders and pastors is when their children make a mistake, our kids may be doing the same thing, but when the elder does it, we say, isn't that a, aren't, they, aren't you a pastor's kid? You really, you really shouldn't be doing it. We hold them to a higher level of accountability. And there is a place for that, right? Because the elders should have, should be managing their house so well. But we have to be a little bit careful of that because, again, the focus is on the, having that sustained pattern, not done in perfection. And what happens is we put a lot of pressure on our elders and their marriages and their families to be perfect to the point where when they need help, or maybe need some prayer, they're going to be very hesitant to say it because they know they're supposed to be an example. And what happens is we put a lot of pressure on our pastors. And so should they, are they held to a higher level of accountability? Yes. But I want to be careful that we don't create a system where our pastors can't ask for help or say, my kid is driving me crazy right now. I need some prayer. Just really struggling with some things. And that's okay for a pastor to do that. And sometimes we make it in a, the culture of the church where that isn't so. So careful consideration is required to be an elder, isn't it? It should be. Uh, I love that uh, when Paul writes, to desire to the, anyone who desires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. So even after we've read all this and we read these qualifications, someone to want to do this, that is a good thing. It's a noble thing, but it does require careful consideration. James 3.1 says this, not many of you should become teachers. You know why? He says, James, write this, my brothers. James 3.1, if you want to write that verse down. For you know that we who teach, listen to this. This is why it requires careful consideration. We who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Me standing up here right now means that I am accountable for words I say, and I will be judged for this someday. God's holding me accountable with a greater strictness because I'm teaching. Or when Dan stands up and leads communion, or an elder stands up, there's a judging there that God says, be careful, not everybody should do this because there is a higher level of judgment for that. So again, careful consideration. So the question then is, how could anybody do this office of elder? Or even maybe, why would anybody want to do this office of elder, correct? And there's an answer for that. I'm going to give my personal story with this. I remember in 2008, maybe 15, 16 years ago, walking from my house in October on a fall night to walk over to the Sugar Grove campus because I was going to meet with the elder board about, felt a calling on my life that God may be wanting me to step up and be an elder of the church. And I remember wrestling, reading these qualifications one by one, and thinking, yikes, wow, this is, this is kind of heavy. I've read these before, but now I'm supposed to be an example of this. And I had to do a very careful examination, talking to my wife and those who knew me to say, is there anything here 
that would keep me, that I, that's a blind spot for me? Am I not fulfilling this? Anything that would keep me is an area that from being an elder of the church. And I remember walking and praying and, and just saying, Lord, that there's some fear with this. And I think there's a healthy fear in that process of considering too. I think an elder should, there is a weight to it. And so there is a fear, but that fear should not keep us if God is calling us to serve in that capacity or in any capacity he calls us from doing so. Because here's the reality. It is God who calls us and equips us to do the work that he set for us to do, whether that's any of the spiritual gift, whether it's teaching or it's any ministry he's called any one of us to do. It's not because we figured it out or I figured out how to be a good elder. I would say the opposite, far from, far from that. It's that God calls us, he equips us to do it, and he fills us with the power of the Spirit to accomplish that. And that is what an elder and pastor trust in. That is what all of us trust in when God calls us to do the work that he wants us to to do. So that is the answer. Yes, it's a weight, but it's a noble task that God calls, God equips, and empowers with the Spirit to accomplish. So not only are there qualifications, but second, there's, the Scriptures also talk to us and tell us about church government. The Scriptures do talk about church government, and if you've been to any different churches in your background, you'll know that churches have different leadership structures, correct? And so, but the Bible does talk about it. Let's talk about that for just a moment. First, the scriptures, when they talk of elders, the office, always use it in the plural. And so we see that in Titus 1, when Paul said, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders. And when the scriptures talk about that, it's always in plural. It's putting elders in every town as I directed you. And so we see that, that in every instance, and there's, I think there's a reason for that going back. To, the scriptures talk about that in Proverbs, centuries before Paul wrote this letter. You can write down Proverbs 11:14, and this proverb states, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. Not in just one person, there's safety. It's an abundance, a multitude. And this is where I think the scriptures is why they're saying is we appoint elders, not one elder, but a, a group of elders to lead the church. And there's many forms of church government, aren't there? There's, uh, there are some where the pastor is the CEO like a, of a company. They, it's the, then everybody else is either in some level beneath them, but the pastor runs the show. And there's churches like that, right? I think there's a caution to that because there isn't a multiplicity of voices to lead. And I think we gotta be careful where we consolidate authority. I will say this, 20 plus years ago in the life of Village Bible Church, this is a couple of years before we started attending, uh, there was an issue with a, a, a pastor and this kind of form of church leadership at the Sugar Grove campus that was really, really devastating to the church. And it was because of that that our church government changed to a, a group of elders leading the church, not just one person. So we see pastors, CEO, other forms of church government. There's congregational, where the congregation votes on everything, almost like the pure democratic process, right? And so um, if you've been part of a congregational background, you know those can create some really fun uh, annual meetings, correct? Uh, but there is a form of church government where everybody votes, correct? If we want to make a decision, we gather, the, we, we vote, and then majority rules, correct? And we move forward that way. Uh, some have elder boards, sometimes call them different things. Some, some church governments uh, take the form of having church councils. Some have very tiered structure. We have bishops and archbishops, and you have this tiered leadership structure. But whatever the form of church government, the New Testament talks about setting up elders in plural, and so those leading the church, here's the key takeaway from this, those leading the church and making the doctrinal decisions must be elders and qualified according to the scriptures we just read. And I'll say that again. Whatever that form of church government it takes, it should be the church should be led by elders who are qualified according to the scriptures we just read, and they are the ones that are leading and making the doctrinal and doing the teaching decisions of the, of the church. So how does that work here at Village Bible Church? We have at every camp, there's six campuses at Village Bible Church, and there are elders at every campus. We call them shepherding elders because a big, a large portion of what 
the elders do at campus is they shepherd. And we're going to talk about that in a moment as well, what that means. So if we look at when we gather together with all the shepherding elders from all campuses, there's over 50 now between the six campuses. And so we gather together on a monthly basis and uh, we meet. And from that group, because we are a multi-site model, is that the, from the body of all the shepherding elders, they elect eight men to serve. We call a guiding elder board where they make the big decisions for the whole, the whole church. We have different campuses, but somebody has got to make that there's a financial and legal decisions and all somebody is running the business of the church. So our lead pastor and executive pastor of the church also serve on that committee. And uh, so, and the, those men serve a three-year term. And so from the whole body of shepherding elders, another eight, and they are not talking about specific campuses. They're talking more about overall direction, leadership, and guidance for the church. I will say this too, that the decisions made at the elder board at Village Bible Church are not done by voting. They're done by consensus. And so when the eight of us meet, we don't take a vote at the end to say, okay, here's what we're gonna do, who's a yay or nay, say what say you, and then we, the majority is going to, we're gonna move in that way. We don't do that. Bill uh, Griffiths serves on that board too, so he's seen this over the years, he's served on that board, is that we wait until we have full consensus before we move forward. Now, I will say, I think that's the right way to do it. I will also say that makes for some really long meetings and that they can go because to get a group of people to agree on everything before moving forward, but there's a reason for that. And so someone can't come up to Bill and say, hey, Bill, why did you guys do this? And Bill can't say, I don't know, I didn't vote for it. Ask John, which creates disunity. And so we wait until there is consensus and we move forward. There's also a process for nominating elders at Village Bible Church. It is a long process. When we said it requires careful consideration, there's a reason for that. It, can take, it takes months. We start at the beginning of the year. There are people can uh, nominate their elder. Uh, most of our elders come from, they're serving as small group leaders. And we get affirmation from their wife, from their small group. Uh, you can nominate someone to be an elder. That person is presented to the congregation. There, we go over the elder qualifications with that person. There's a time for the church to interact and ask questions of that prospective elder. And then finally... It goes to the congregation for the members to vote and the congregation affirms that person as an elder. It's a long process and it's detailed. It takes time, but it should be because of the weight of what that office is in the church. I've had the privilege of seeing God work through the board over the years. I, I'm gonna give an example that relates right here to this campus is I remember years ago, we took an elder retreat, took a weekend, and we were trying to really prayerfully consider what does God gonna have for Village Bible Church over the next five years? This is 15 years ago. And I remember we had big chart paper all around the walls. We spent a day and a half prayerfully writing these plans and ideas. And here's the funny thing. We got back the next weekend and there was a letter in the mailbox from First Baptist Church of Shavana, asking is there's some struggles happening. Is it possible we could discuss some options for some type of coming together and being part of Village Bible Church? And that started a process over the next year or so that ended right now, where we are now, 15, 16 years later. I will say it's funny because we always look back as we took all, those, all of our ideas and chart papers, we crumpled up and threw them out because God laughed and said, nope, you're not going to do any of those. There's a letter waiting for you. And if you just waited, you would have seen the letter in the mailbox and wouldn't have to do all that work for that weekend. And I will say this too, that train as it rolled down the tracks of coming to this adoption process could have derailed in a thousand ways in the whole process. In fact, it should have. It was really complicated to think what it means to join two churches together. You know, there's legal, just in every way. It was a challenge. And yet we told God that we would continue to walk through the open doors as long as they didn't slam shut. And they never did. Over that process, all that time, I got to watch that actually happen, and we thought, this is it, this is gonna fall apart right here. Or the next, you know what, there's no, there's no way we're gonna figure this one out. Too complex, and yet, doors stayed open the whole time. We also have the office of deacon that's listed in the New Testament. I don't have enough time this morning to talk about deacon, uh, but that is an office of the church as well. Uh, I'm gonna give you some resources at the end that you can study on your own, but deacon, we call them ministry directors. 
at the church because deacon literally means servant in the New Testament. And so we do have ministry directors. Those are people doing the, the leadership of the ministries at the church. So we have the, there's qualifications for deacons too. Uh, just don't have enough time to discuss that. I'll let, you, I'll let you look at that on your own. So our first point was to recognize biblical church leadership. And next, there's responsibilities of an elder. Second point is there's responsibilities in the Bible of an elder. There are three words in the New Testament to talk about elder. One is overseer. Uh, some translations call it bishop. Okay? Two is a shepherd, and three, an elder. Let's quickly look at all three of these. So first of all, responsibilities of an elder. The first word we're going to look at is an elder's must be an example. The Greek word for this is presbyteros, where we get the word presbyterian. And uh, that word is translated as elder in the New Testament. They must be an example. The sense of that word is the elder of the church must be a mature man. That growth in the Lord, we know this, if you've been a Christian for some time, happens over time, correct? That's that process of sanctification that God grows us. So this is why Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.6, he says, the elder, the person you're considering, cannot be a recent convert. They can't just have recently accepted the Lord as a Savior. Or they may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And so the elder can't be a recent convert, meaning they've got to be that mature man because those qualifications, the elder has to be the example for the church for these things. Their life must be defined by the qualifications. So Here's a heavy statement that Paul tells the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 4.16. Paul says this to the church in Corinth. I urge you then, be imitators of me. I think about that. So my children, or your children, imitate you, right? The good and the bad. They do that. They'll, uh, they'll, they'll imitate our mannerisms. Sometimes they'll imitate the things we say and we wish, oh my gosh, that's what it sounds like when I hear it from somebody else. It puts us in check sometimes because all of a sudden, um, I don't want my kids to, to be that way. There are certain things I do want them to imitate, but they do, our kids imitate us. And so Paul says the elders should be able to say, imitate, be imitators of me. And this takes time and growth for that elder to be an example. And again, the only way that any of this is possible is because of the power of God's Spirit in the elder's life that they can say it. I, I love the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, if we think about, about what those are, evidence of God's Spirit in the life of the believer are this. You're going to see love, some joy, and peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness and self-control. I think I got all nine. Maybe I missed one. But you'll see evidence of that. You'll see it in the elder's life because there'll be an example for the church of those things because the Spirit of God is working in their life and is growing them over time. So first, an elder must be an example. Second, they have to be a shepherd. The Greek word is poimen, and it literally does mean shepherd. And so I did a little research as I was preparing for this about raising sheep because the analogy of the shepherd and sheep are all over the New Testament. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And so it was interesting. I don't know if there's any, I've never raised livestock in my life. So I don't know if anybody has any experience here raising sheep, but raising sheep can be a challenge. So that's from my, from my research, there's some reasons for that. One, sheep are defenseless. They rank at the bottom of the food chain. Every predator eats a sheep, and they have no way to defend themselves, none. So that requires the shepherd has to protect their sheep against attack because everything eats sheep. Second, sheep are very susceptible to parasites. So the lambs have to be constantly dewormed, and somebody I was reading was a little gross, but very susceptible to parasites, easy. This, a lot of them don't survive because of parasites if they're not carefully treated. And the third one I thought was interesting, sheep are very susceptible to dorsal incumbency. Anybody want to guess what dorsal incumbency is? Sheep fall on their back with their legs in the air. They can't turn themselves over. They'll die in minutes if someone doesn't came, come and flip them over when they get stuck. That's how helpless a sheep is. They will literally die because they can't flip themselves over. They need help for that. If they can't get up on all fours, they don't have long. Sheep also love to be with other sheep. And if one sheep goes somewhere they shouldn't, guess where the other sheep go? They follow. 
Okay, they like to follow whoever the lead sheep is, they go right after it. If that sheep goes out of the pen, the safety of it, all the rest of the sheep will follow. If that sheep goes and falls off the cliff, the rest of the sheep will follow them right off the cliff. And sheep like to wonder, what a great analogy, isn't it, in the New Testament scriptures, why prophet Isaiah says, we are like sheep, we've gone astray, we have turned every one of us to our own way. We are just like that. So you think what a beautiful analogy in the scriptures we have of elders and pastors shepherding the church. Because Jesus uses that same analogy for a reason. He says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. So the shepherd of the church, think how this applies now to the elder and pastor. One, they're protecting the church. Two, they're giving guidance to the church. I mean, they're speaking into the lives of the people in the church. They're giving advice and counsel and praying and protecting the church. The shepherd or the elder lives their life with the sheep. They know the sheep's name. They're there. They're not doing this from afar. They're right there living life and shepherding and caring for the, for the church. I, your elders and pastors are going to be there for all the highs and lows of life, right? They're going to be there at your weddings, uh, some of them may even date your daughters. Some of you got that. Jeremy's my son-in-law. Um, they're going to be there for weddings. They're going to be there for funerals, the highs and lows of life. I remember a year and a half ago, my father-in-law, who lived next door to us for 25 years, uh, passed away suddenly. We needed shepherding at that time. And I was so, our family was so thankful and blessed to have the leaders of the church come around and, and have that pastoral care over us at that time. The shepherd cares for the sheep. They know them, they do life with the sheep, and that is the calling of the shepherd of the church. So elders have to be examples, they gotta be shepherds, and last, they have to be leaders. The Greek word for that literally means episkopos, where we get the words episcopal, and that one is translated someplace as overseer, and in some translations as bishop. But they have to be example shepherds. They have to be leaders. The elder's going to have to make decisions. They're going to have to lead as part of a team. They're not doing this by themselves. There's a group of elders that come together because there's wisdom and multiple voices, and God works through that. Titus 1.9 says, Also the elder has to hold firm to the trustworthy word, meaning your elders, it's so key that they stay grounded in the Scriptures because they have to stay grounded because they need that regular study and asking God for understanding because the Bible tells the elders they're going to have to teach it. They're going to have to look at and recognize when someone's teaching something wrong and not just be passive. They have to go rebuke it and say, that's not right. They're going to do that with all love and care, but they have to be dedicated to the truth, so they have to understand and be grounded in the Word. They have to give instruction and sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. Now, this is why this is important, because in 2 Timothy, the next book after 1 Timothy, Paul continues writing to his protege, and he says this. Write down, just write this. You can look it up later. 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 through 4. This is why it's so important for the elder to stay in the word and teach well, because Paul says this to Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And so this is why it's so critical for your elders and your pastors to teach well, because even 2,000 years ago, the warning is if you don't, people will stop listening to good teaching. They'll wander off from the truth. And so that is why that is for the, it, that leadership function of the elder that they do that well. The church should never shy away from teaching good doctrine. And I know what happens. We think of doctrine, we think of theology, we think of big books on a shelf collecting dust with word, the books that are hard to read. But really the word doctrine here literally means teaching. And so what Paul is telling Timothy and us and the elders is teach and teach well from the scriptures. You have a theology class that meets here before the service that Jeremy does, right? I, I love that. The church 
And many churches are kind of getting away from having a theology class. All theology is literally means the study of God and done in a systematic way, meaning it's just done in an organized way. And so I would encourage you to come here earlier for Sunday school and get involved in that theology class. Jeremy's dedicated to teaching good doctrine. And so you have an opportunity, show up, show up a little earlier and take advantage of that. Our third point this morning and final is what is the church's responsibility? What's our church's response to our elders? How should we respond to our elders' leadership? I want to mention two points here. The church members, all of us should. One is first is recognize that our elders are not perfect. They will make mistakes. There may be a time they may speak out of line or maybe speak before the brain catches up. Yes, sometimes that happens. There's going to be times when your elders and pastors may go through times of frustration and discouragement. Their kids will misbehave sometimes. They will get in arguments with their wives because they're human beings like we are. But they will also model forgiveness and ask for forgiveness when needed. And we have to remember that an elder in the scriptures is just another sheep. There are sheep with very heavy responsibilities but they're still sheep. We have one great shepherd, and that's Jesus, our Savior. That's it. Elders and pastors are other sheep as well. Paul goes on in chapter 5 of the letter to Timothy, and he says this. He says there's even guidelines for church discipline for elders who keep sinning. And it's a little different from what we talked about earlier about discipline in the church because elders get fast-tracked into discipline without the steps that we see in Matthew 18. That was what we discussed uh, a month or so ago. Because Paul writes to Timothy this, chapter 5. You can write this down if you want to study it later. 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20, Paul says this. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now listen to this. As for those elders who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. Rebuke them if they continue in sin immediately and not just quietly in the presence of all. And why? So the rest may stand in fear. I will tell you this, in the life of the church, we as a board have been, elder board have been involved in that. And I will say, it's hard. But I will also say this too, that the rest may stand in fear. Every single elder that is a part of that, watching that happen says this, please God, do not let that happen to me or my family. And there is that reset and healthy fear, and this is why Paul says that. And so our response, one, is to recognize that our elders are not perfect, and second, recognize that our elders have a God-given role. Recognize that our elders have a God-given role. I'm going to read, this is the writer of Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17 says this. Listen to the words in relation to your elders, how we should respond. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Let me tell you what that doesn't mean first. Obey your leaders and submit to them. That does not mean blind leadership, blind following. Sheep sometimes are called dumb. They're not dumb. They just like to follow and stay together, right? That's why people call them dumb sheep, but don't think that they're not intelligent. They just will follow whoever is leading. Whoever's in front of them, they'll just go. So it's not blind leadership. We as a church, you, if you are a Christian, have been commanded to search the Scriptures, and if anything you hear coming from your elders or pastors does not come from the Scriptures, you have a right to say, can you go to them and say, I, I don't understand this. Can you help me here? You should question it. If you're ever told or asked or taught anything that is against the Scriptures, that should be questioned. Following and obeying your elders and pastors has nothing to do with blind leadership, and it is in reference to the church only. Our commandment is in reference to the church. But here's what it does mean. Obey and submit are not popular words in our culture, are they? They're not. Because it's in an American culture, that's weakness to submit and to obey. And yet, here's the irony of this. We get our example first, that word submit, from the very Godhead, who our God is, the Trinitarian nature of our God. We see this. In 1 Corinthians 11, 3, 
It says the head of Christ, remember we hold that God is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Three and yet one, don't ask me how to explain that, I can't. That's a mystery that we do not understand totally and fully. But it says, Paul writes, the head of Christ is God. There is an example of submission and roles in the very Trinity, the very nature of who our God is. And then Luke 21, 41, 42 says this. When Jesus was praying in the garden right before he was sacrificed on our behalf on a cross, he said this, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and Jesus prayed and he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Meaning this, if there's any other way, please God, to provide redemption, then please let's do this. But then he said, Jesus said, nevertheless, it's not my will, but yours be done. We see that very example of submission and obedience in the very nature of who our God is. And so your elders and pastors, they have a very specific task for this campus. That is to keep watch over your souls. That is a heavy thing to say, isn't it? And that is what God's calling the elders to do, and they will be judged for that someday. They're going to be held accountable to that. So I'm going to end with this. Thanks for your patience this morning. I want to end with this with two challenges for us. One is a challenge for the elders at this campus, and the one is a, a challenge for us, the church. So here you have four elders of this church. You've got Pastor Jeremy, who's gone this weekend. Uh, Bill Warner's not here either. Uh, Bill Griffith is here, and Dan Griffith is here as well. I want to read uh, from 1 Peter chapter 5, the first four verses. This is 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, because Peter gives a challenge for elders to, the, to follow. Here it is. This is 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. So to the four elders of this church, my challenge to you is this. So I'm just going to read this. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. My challenge to the elders of this campus is shepherd well. Live life with people. We have, as an elders, the commandment is that to be overseers of the souls of the people in the church. Be an example of a godly man that the church can follow. And then last is lead, lead well. And I just I think it's be very appropriate this time. It is not easy being an elder of the church. I think it'd be appropriate. I know Bill and Dan are here. Can we just show some appreciation, maybe a round of applause for their service? Thank you. Um, I know Bill and Dan both have been leading this church for a long time. I know Bill um, counts his service in decades, not years, to the church. So I've really enjoyed getting to know him. Um, last, my challenge, I'll end with this, a challenge to the church is pray for your elders and continually pray for your elders. They need it. It's not an easy job sometimes. Sometimes it is, can be discouraging, can be challenging, but you know who your elders are. Pray for them. Don't, as a writer of Hebrews said, don't make their job difficult. That's no advantage of you to, to do that, but pray for your elders and encourage them. Um, there are in your bulletins, there's a QR code. You can take a, if you want to take a picture of that with your phone, it can lead you to uh, some more documents to study what it means to be church leaders. And uh, you can do some more research on your own. Um, but, uh, but remember that church family, continually pray and encourage your elders uh, so that you can be a blessing to them. Uh, thank you for your patience this morning. Let me uh, close this.